welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's speakeasy chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the Cutting Wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. We're going back to the other side of the glass tonight. My guest has been responsible for post-production on hundreds of audiobooks, working for Audible Studios, Hachette Book Group, and now as an independent contractor. Chrissy Farrell, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Oh, thanks, Rich, for inviting me. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm glad you could make it. We have a, uh, a friend in common, that's uh, Suzanne Barbetta, who let me know about you at some point in the past. And uh, I thought, you know, I have not talked to an engineer in a while. I would love to get another engineer in the speakeasy. So thanks for coming in. Great, great. I'm going to so, uh Suzanne, thank you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne, Suzanne is great. I love Suzanne. So, she, is, um, she is. So this being a speakeasy, uh, Chrissy, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I used your invitation as a special occasion to run out to the local uh, soda market, beer market, to get myself a sour IPA, uh, which I had never had before. So I'm drinking uh, Tart Deco Mango Tango Sour IPA. Well, the mango part of that really appeals to me. I, I don't do much in the way of beer. I don't really do any beer but um, or stouts or, or anything like that. But um, but I love mango. That that has got to be like my favorite fruit in the world. And so uh, hearing hearing that somebody is drinking something that has mango in it always mm-hmm. makes me happy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I am new to the uh, subgenre of shou- – uh, if, if beer has subgenres of sours um, – <laughs> I decided this was an occasion to buy something that says it's independently crafted. So, yeah, you know? I, I always I love to drink local whenever I can. Uh, Absolutely, try to support the the local restaurants and bars. I've uh, we've done takeout a couple of times now, or at least once, where um, I because they've relaxed the restrictions on alcohol in cars. Um, Actually, I don't know if they're still <laughs> still relaxed because of the more recent okay. developments, but um, but they did for a while, and so places were uh, you know offering their cocktails for takeout. And I I know that one place I looked at just a couple of days ago still was at that point. So um, always try to support local businesses, and if there's any local distilleries or breweries, uh, that's good too. So yeah, it uh, sounds like a good one. Well, I am joining you with another one of my favorite fruits, uh, the grapefruit. I'm having something that I just learned about recently. I think I may have read about this cocktail a long time ago and then sort of forgotten about it because I didn't have any honey syrup at the time. But I saw something mm-hmm. recently. This is a brown derby, and uh, and it's a Prohibition-era cocktail, and it uses uh, bourbon, grapefruit juice, and honey syrup. And so since I actually had some honey syrup on hand, I thought, you know, I think I'm going to make one of these. And uh, I actually kind of liked it. I don't think it will, you know, go down as my favorite cocktail in the world, but uh, it's definitely different. And I love grapefruit. And so uh, so I've got myself a brown derby. So uh, again, sounds, sorry. I was like, that sounds interesting. Is it more tart because of the grapefruit or sweet because of the honey? Or um, somewhere in between? It's somewhere in between, which is, which is kind of what's interesting about it. Um, and the, the original recipe that I heard was more of a traditional sour recipe. So it was like 833 of the spirit and then uh, three, eight parts of the spirit and then three parts sour and three parts sweet. And mm. I found it, um, 
I don't know. It, it, there was just something missing there. And so I'm actually trying a dis- different recipe that I found online uh, tonight, which is more along the lines of a, of a classic daiquiri, of a kind of a 3 2 one, three parts bourbon, two parts grapefruit, and one part honey syrup. And so um, okay. I'm going to see how that works. But uh, in any case, it, it is kind of an interesting balance because grapefruit is both sort of bitter and sweet, and uh, the honey syrup is definitely sweet. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting combination and I've had a few drinks lately that have had grapefruit juice cause we have a neighbor across the street who has an enormous grapefruit tree and, uh, and there were still a couple hanging on recently. And so, uh, she, so she gave me some and, uh, I really do like some of the, some of the drinks that I have found that use grapefruit juice. Awesome. Yeah. So, so again, Chrissy, thanks for coming in. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, I'm going to pretend I banged it against something because I have a klutz and I'm going to knock it over. So. <laughs> I don't want you to lose the in, IPA in the in process. Spirit, I, oh, please, no. <laughs> That's fine. All right. So, uh, so Chrissy, I understand you are on the East Coast at this point. I am. I am in New York at this moment, currently um, uh, ending part of my quarantine or part of my ending quarantine up with my parents in Westchester County. Ah. Uh, I am my, I am paying a uh, rent for an apartment in Brooklyn at this moment that I'm not occupying. But uh, yeah, I'm in New York. I am spending time up in Westchester writing out the COVID experience. Yeah. Um, Hard hard to come up with a good word to describe all this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And then on top of that, of course, you know, everything else that has exploded over this week has just been one on top of the other. But uh, my aim is to go back to Brooklyn on Saturday and pick up where I left off. Well, I, I hope things are, are quiet and you are able to do that. Uh, are you from that area originally? You said your parents were up in Westchester. Are you from that area originally? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm from Westchester. Uh, born, born and raised, I guess. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's uh, uh, born, born in New York City, but raised in Westchester. But it's how I spent my entire life, kind of just commuting between the lines. Um, went to high school in the city, uh, but still lived up here. And then, you know, after I moved out for college, a um, couple of tours in different cities and then back in back in one of the five boroughs. Where'd you go to school? Um, I went to Loyola Chicago in Chicago for undergrad. And then I did my grad school in Boston at Emerson College for media arts. Back on the East Coast. Yep. Yep. In Boston. Nothing says uh, snow like a Boston winter (laughs) over over and over again. I have not actually been to that city. I would love to go someday, but uh, haven't been there yet. Um, so, so you, uh, then you said you bounced around a couple of places and now you're back in, back in the big apple. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm back in, uh, Brooklyn. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, what, what did you do in school when you were in college? Uh, major wise? Yeah. I majored in English because I went into college convinced I was writing the next great American novel. Ah. Uh, that did not happen, um, at all, but I also had a fascination with radio. So I, somehow wanted to write the next American novel, but also have a career as a DJ. Um, and so I got into, um, radio and undergrad where you had to work your way up. And so I got the two to 6.00 AM Thursday to Friday morning shifts, which, Oh yeah, (laughs) totally fun. Um, nothing like four hours of trying to fill, not necessarily dead air, but you don't know who's listening, but that's, uh, where I found out that it doesn't matter what time of day it was. I had stage fright. Um, oh, interesting. Even without an, yeah, even without an audience, even if everyone was asleep, even if no one was staring me in the face, I had stage fright. So I'll, I turned the microphone on and nothing came out of my mouth. I used to write it down. So that way I would have a, I would have my own impromptu script and I would still freeze. 
Like wow. the words were staring me. Yeah, the words were staring me in the face, and I was like, you know what? Eh, not for me. It's not yeah. probably not going to get better. Good, good that um, you learned it early. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay in the audio world. So I applied for uh, job is being generous, but. Um, uh, you know what, let's just go with job. But like the, there was an <laughs> assistant. I don't, it's hard to explain is this, the radio station was kind of owned by the college, but the college didn't own it anymore. So they kicked it off and to fill their budget NPR took them under. Mm-hmm. So, um, we got trained under, I got trained like, I've, I actually know how to do like a lot of, um, Call us now and we'll give you uh, and pledge us now and we'll give you your tote bag uh, stuff, <laughs> which we had to do had to do for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, so there were a couple of behind the scenes jobs available at the radio station, and I still wanted to be a part of it. So not really knowing what I was doing, um, I applied for what the title was: assistant live sound engineer, and got it, which is surprising because I didn't have a clue what it was. I just knew I wanted to be <laughs> in it. I got training essentially like baptism by fire. The guy who was my boss uh, was just, you know, this hardcore punk Chicago guy who, you know, metal jackets and or leather jackets and all of that, mm. who just sort of gave me the TLDR of here's how you, you set up live bands. Congratulations, you're doing it next week. Um, wow. So which, sometimes that's great. Sometimes that's the best way to learn something is to have no other option but to say, I need to spend as much time as I have to to figure out what I'm doing here because that that's going to be it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't always successful. I will I will admit that. Uh, <laughs> and thankfully, the the shift that I was put on after I decided I can't be on air was the three to six p.m. like drive time hour on Fridays, uh, only when there were bands. And thankfully, the DJ named Nick would be very 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 kind when I couldn't get signal because I was still. It was definitely learned on my feet would come in and just help me out a little bit. But, um, That's very cool. It was, yeah, it was very, very cool. He was very, I mean, so was, uh, so was the, my, uh, my boss, Matt something, but they were all, you know, Chicago's got a very nice, cool laid back vibe about things like that. Um, especially their music, um, and their music scene. And then when I graduated college, I knew I wanted to continue doing this, but I figured that the best way to do it was to go back to school to learn essentially all the names. Like I didn't know what a fader was. I didn't know it was a fader. I just knew if we push this thing up, it gets mm-hmm. louder. Yeah. Terminology. And, yeah. Makes yeah, a difference. <laughs> exactly. And and no one was teaching me that. They were just saying, push this up to, to around the, the zero mark and then take a look at this. And if it works, it sounds, sounds great. And I'm like, okay, well, cool. cool but like, what is, what are we, what are we doing? So yeah. I went to Emerson college for two years in media arts for a master's with as Emerson's very much a, um, like performance video TV school. Mm-hmm. And so, and their, their master's program was a little, it hadn't really filled itself out as it is now. They, now they, I think they offer MFAs, but so you had only a certain amount of classes you could take before you capped yourself out. And so I made sure that I tried to take as many electives that were specific to audio production because I didn't think I was going to do video or TV. Mm-hmm. And so while the degree says media arts, I sometimes slip up and say audio production because that's essentially what I did. I spent a lot of time editing and going in and learning uh, software. And they their radio station was a far more um, judicious. You had to take a test to get in to learn to work with them. Mm. And I definitely did not pass that test um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> and so I just, uh, from there, once it was time to graduate, it was a time to look for a job and try to put the degree you just earned to use, which I know uh, not everyone is always successful. With yeah, that, but it I want- doesn't always work out first time exactly. out. Yeah, <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that that was the case uh, as much as I could. Started scouring Craigslist. I'm 
I am going past your original question of where'd you go to school. But no, 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 that's that's fine. I was I was going to get there as well. So yep. so take take us all the way to that first job. <laughs> so the first the first paid job that allowed me to use my audio knowledge, experience, and equipment was for this tiny, tiny little e-publishing company on Boston Harbor, where they rented out a condo and kind of hold out the condo to be like the master bedroom was the CEO's office. And I think like one of the tinier bedrooms was accounting. Uh, <laughs> and they kind of like the kitchen became the kitchen funny enough became like your regular office kitchen. Like someone's lunch was left over from two weeks in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I answered a Craigslist ad that said they needed, um, an intern. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not, it, it was paid. So I was like, okay, fine. They, they, uh, put me in as an intern of their media department, but then failed to tell me till I was there on my first day that I was the only member of the media, the media department <laughs> was my own intern. So I had to learn to do a lot of things on the fly there. And my office was the walk-in closet off of the, um, the master suite slash CEO, uh, room where I was also the graphic designer and one other person. There were three of us in that, that closet for, I think almost a year. That's, um, that's great. I gotta, I gotta interrupt and say, this is yeah. reminding me so much of, uh, when I first got into voiceover, I actually, um, the, the first workshops that I took were at a place called the voice factory in San Francisco back almost 20 years ago. And uh, sadly they're not around anymore for a number of reasons, but, um, Met great friends, some that I'm still friends with now. Um, had a great time. Had my first demo cut when I was uh, studying there, and it was a condo in a in a regular building. You had to you know get buzzed in, and then once you were in, you go into this condo, and the living room was the the workspace where we all sat on the couches and you know got in front of a microphone and got recorded and all that. And then uh, it was a one-bedroom condo, and the bedroom was the rehearsal space. So if you needed to go over your script, you could stand in the hallway, you could stand in the bedroom, you could stand in the bathroom, wherever you could find room. You go over your script, you work on it, and then you come back. Um, and, and it had a regular kitchen, and, you know, they had snacks out and everything. And so every once in a while, you get those, those experiences where it's a completely bizarre environment for the kind of thing that you're doing. But, yeah. uh, but it can work. It, it can. It can. It, um... It's still one of those weird experiences in my life because um, since they they didn't know what they were doing either in terms of uh, what they wanted, like they they knew publishing, but they knew they wanted someone um, for like more of their media stuff, their media what the clients wanted to go further out of uh, just e-publishing. Um, so there was no equipment, so I would have to pack up my uh, Pro Tools uh, Mbox Mini and my headphones and my XLR cables every single day. Oh, wow get on the tee and then walk off the tee for a little while down and you're down at the harbor. So like it's the wind, it's the snow during, it's during winter, um, into this massive condo complex where, you know, there's a a button code to get into the building and you just, um, it was, it was one of the more interesting experiences I think I can say I've had job wise. Yeah. um, No no doubt. No yeah. doubt, but that's that's kind of cool. You go into college, you got this idea to um, to write, you end up in media, and then you get out, and that's what you're doing. So let me go back for a second. Are you still mm-hmm. writing? No. No? <laughs> Not you, really. Do you plan Not to pick really. it up again at some point? I do, actually. Um, I, I tried to start writing a couple of years ago on the side and didn't have any real intention of what to do with it, just sort of a 
write, here's your idea. And then I would send it off to, uh, my cousin actually is a really good, she's a, a journalist. And so she's really good at, um, constructive feedback and like, who are you writing this for and how to, how to rewrite it and gave me some, my, uh, feedback on things. But then it, I just never went anywhere with it after that, just because life, you know, life kind of gets in the way. So how did you get into audiobooks? Uh, so, um, one day at the tiny little condo off Boston Harbor, I was introduced to one of their clients. Um, he wanted, he wrote a book uh, ish, right? So it was a, it was an ebook in kind of like zines, the really tiny, tinier books. Um, Mm -hmm. and he wanted it on iTunes and he wanted to know how do you do that? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm sure I could figure it out. (laughs) And, uh, we, um, I packed up all of my, my gear again and he wanted two of them. He wanted he wanted the full book and then he wanted what he called the executive summary, hmm. which was essentially maybe just like the first couple pages of every chapter because that's where the majority of the information was. Mm-hmm. And so we had to uh, record that audiobook in that master suite that I was telling you about, except that's when I learned um, acoustics matter because the master suite was made out of wood entirely. Oh, and my. with a sliding glass door outlooking the harbor. So <laughs> if there weren't, reflections there were seagulls and there were like waves from the from the the harbor on a bad day oh my god that's, um, a, that's a live space if i've ever heard of one. Oh, it really was and then trying to explain to him like you know you can't turn he went because it had to be printed so you can't turn the pages in front of the microphone because i'm not gonna be able to edit those out mm-hmm. um which i find funny that you know to this day i at least had a little bit of foresight then to be like no no, no you're making noise you're making noise um <laughs> And so I kept, uh, we recorded it. He wanted all of this music, all of these things uh, on it. And um, every now and then, I, I we got it on Audible, but every now and then I'll remind myself of what it was. It was my very, very first audiobook ever without knowing this is where I was going. Right. And I'll look it up every now and then on Audible just to be like, is it still there? Is it still up there? <laughs> um, it is. Uh, and so I did some detective work. How do you get something onto iTunes? Because you had to do some backtracking. Well, iTunes at that time, uh, had like an exclusive contract with Audible. So you got to get it on Audible. How do I get it on Audible? Uh, and so I had to, I had to be like, you know, producer, editor, then like media related, not media relations, but um, I'm blanking on the word, but the person who has to reach out to Audible and say, Hey, I need this. I'd like this on your, your website. How do I do this? Oh, sure. To get the distribution going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And at that moment, you know, I knew I didn't, I was close to graduating at that moment. So I had this job right before graduation and I knew that I needed, I wouldn't want to stay there and I had to get something going. And so I kept an eye on their website for jobs. Oh, on the um, Audible website. On the Audible website. And uh, funny enough, I had to still find work in between and I was doing audio for Court TV for a murder trial up in Boston when um, uh, an audio editing position opened up on audible.com. And I jumped on it and they called me the next day, which is probably one of the fastest times I've ever had a call a job interview call me yeah. um, saying, you know, we want to interview you. Can you come to Newark? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. Hold on. Let me just figure out how to get out from Boston and get out of this murder trial um, <laughs> to um, come down for that interview. And I went down on the top of July in 2008, interviewed with George James, who's no longer there. Um, and they offered me the position that day, funny enough. And wow, that uh, is a speedy process. Is a speedy, it was a speedy process, but then it was like, well, we can't give you a start date just yet. So I had to call every now and then to say, when's my start date? When's my start date? 
Um, in the meantime, go back up to Boston to end my lease, pack up my things. I had a dog at the time and I had to, poor dog got shuffled up and down 95 for every weekend. So I could go up there to, um, pack up my stuff, clean my things, uh, end that life to, on the anticipation that I would have a start date at some point in Newark. Um, and so I started, uh, in audiobooks officially at Audible mid July, 2008. So what were you doing when you first started there? Was it uh, engineering right off the bat on audiobooks or were you just assisting someone or I'm, I'm not sure how they work in terms of you know, right. what so they expect? I've come to realize that since, just as a, as, a, as a side note, I've come to realize since I've left my the full-time nine-to-fivers on the publishing side that um, engineering is used as a term differently than what, I'm, what I've known it to be. Um, so I guess what I do now is an, is an engineering job. And so I would describe it as an editing or post-production. So, uh, I just say that because everyone's like, Oh, you're an engineer. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I don't have any, I don't have any gear to record. Um, so the recording engineers, uh, I was not that they had just put up all their studios. They had just had their new, I think they had just moved into the, the office in Newark. I'm not entirely sure, but I, I think that timing sounds right, but I'd have to look it up. Yeah. They, they were no longer in Wayne. I knew that. I just didn't know when they moved, but no, uh, my official position was audio editor, which is essentially what I do now. But like I said, uh, audio engineer, I guess, but no, I was, um, they, my understanding was they had had plans to hire full-time onsite, you know, editors to have like a bay of editors and, um, without knowing what happened because that was far above my, uh, my, my knowledge. There were only two of us ever hired myself and this guy named Scott, who actually is from Arizona. Yep. Um, and then moved back to Arizona at some point, but he and I started there as the full-time two editors, uh, on-site editing, whatever came out of the studios. Um, and then audible was audible was growing. And so they hired a lot of freelancers as editors to work on site as well. Mm. So, there was a bunch of us, but Scott and I were the only two, I think, of that experiment of like full-time ones. Um, and then after that, I became the supervisor for the content creation department, which I think now might be Audible Studios. I know they've done a lot of morphing since then, mm-hmm. and, which was just a lot of um, keeping track of the records as they came out of the out of the studios and sending them to the post-production facilities or the or the independent contractors we had, and making sure that they were ready for QC by a certain date. So just a lot of not supply chain. That's not the right word, but, but making sure everything got from point A to point B. Sure. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I understand. Um, and the terminology, you know, I, I, I always debate how to refer to somebody who does the kind of work that you do, because I hear what you're saying about engineer, uh, editing, you know, you've got people who prove people who master are the engineers, are they not? I, I tend to use terms fairly interchangeably, not thinking of, the engineer as only the person who is actually doing the recording. Um, mm. So I just think audio engineer is a kind of an easy shorthand to refer to Agreed. somebody who understands the different software packages, knows how to use them, and then uses them effectively and efficiently to actually get a good sounding product. So Absolutely. No, I, I, and I only make the distinction just because I don't want to misrepresent what I do. Um, but I agree with you. I think that, that there, it, it's a nice umbrella of, so of sorts for someone who kind of knows their way around getting a finished product to sound nice. Right. Um, so you were, you were at Audible for a few years and then you went to Hachette. And I went to Hachette. So I left Audible in 2011 and joined Hachette then. 
as as funny enough, their post production engineer was my title, um, <laughs> which was just editing some of their books in house. Where, uh, as I think I mentioned to you in a previous email, um, you actually interviewed one of my former coworkers, Tommy Heron. Oh yeah, at, uh, uh, at yeah. HMH, yeah. Yeah. So Tommy and I were at uh, Hachette. He was there longer than I was, but we were at Hachette for the last eight years ish, right? Tommy just uh, just passed one year of being at HMH, I think. Um, where I I've I sat next to Tommy for almost full seven eight years, and we were we were uh, cubicle buddies. Um, That's great. And yeah. He, yeah, he was the recording engineer, and then I would edit the book and get it through the, the process. Yeah, so I um. So I it was. At, so you basically mm-hmm. started there doing pretty much the same type of work that you had started at at Audible, Audible. doing doing yep. the post production editing stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. It kind of uh, made a circle, boomerang back. Yeah, and now you're still doing that, but you're doing yep. it on your own. I'm doing it on my own. So yeah, after eight years at Hachette, uh, I went from a post-production engineer to a producer at Hachette um, with the ability to still edit or direct or whatever I wanted to do on certain titles, depending on time, budget, and all that. Well, that's great. Uh, how, did, how did you like that change? What, what did you think of the different um, tasks that you could take part in? From post-production engineer to producer? Yeah. Um, um, I mean, producer, director, there, you mentioned a lot of things there. Yeah. What, what, did I, you, what did you find as you went through that process in terms of what you felt comfortable with and what you liked? I am always, always, always true to heart an editing girl. Like, I, that is where I am the happiest. That is, uh, you put me in front of some sine waves and you're probably going to have to, like, poke me in 20 minutes, half an hour, <laughs> be like, hey, are you okay? Like, your eyes have glazed over. You look really happy. But the non-post- uh, responsibilities. I liked casting. I liked reading as much as I could, or, the, or sometimes you you didn't have the chance to read the whole book, but you know the, at least the, the synopsis mm-hmm. um, and trying to imagine the voice and finding that voice and finding finding a book that made everybody happy. Right? Mm-hmm. That I'd, I'd have narrators who would come to me and be like, "Oh, this was, book was so great! Like, I'm so happy that I was on it. Thank you for thinking of me." And I was like, "No, I heard your voice in my head." Like. You, I, I don't want to say I thought of you, you thought of me, but I can't not look at the script and not hear you. Yeah. Uh, directing was directing was fun. Uh, depended on you know the book obviously in the uh, the length of time. Directing always just would take a lot more of your attention because you have to focus on the script. So my my producer responsibilities had to be pushed to the side from nine to five, which meant emails piled up, people were looking for you. So it kind of just became hard to balance that. Whereas. Yeah casting or if even if I was editing I was editing at my desk and I can stop that because it's not real time um so I I enjoyed the casting I enjoyed the post I would have to jump in every now and then to record when one of the Hachette's um engineers wasn't able to take over and that was always fun because there's something a little bit different about that being real time than directing Mm -hmm. um there's a there's a little bit of enjoyment I get out of marking scripts um, and following along and putting my Pro Tools knowledge to use in a different capacity. Yeah, well, that, that's cool that you got to do a lot of different things, and it's also um, I don't know from my experience that's really really nice that you were able to figure out or maybe you always knew uh, from the very beginning that you were an editing person and that that was what you loved doing. That's that's great to know that. Yeah, I don't know if I knew it from the start, but I think that little tiny voice in the back of your head that just kind of gets louder and louder and louder over the years. It's like, no, you know, this is great, but don't you miss doing that? Like, don't it just like, again, someone poking you in the back, like, Hey, don't you miss me? Don't you miss me? Yeah. That was, yeah. that was uh, me with editing. Um, well, that's very yeah. cool. And I can tell you from, from my perspective, since I outsourced 
virtually all post-production stuff at this point. I am so glad there are people like you who love that work. <laughs> I do. I really, really do. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, I don't know, happy spot. Because for me, it's one of those things where um, what, I, what I used to like doing in terms of, of audio production was sound design for live theater. I would do mm-hmm. pre-recorded sound design for live theater performances. Mm-hmm. And um, and I loved that. I lo- I became kind of a little bit of a you know foley geek, and I would you know make noises. Um, I still remember my favorite one was coming up with somebody falling downstairs backstage for noises off, and I used a yoga mat and a bookshelf and books and a suitcase, and I made all kinds of noise, and the director <laughs> loved it. So that to me was was a lot of fun when it came to audio production, but. The post-production on the audiobook stuff, I just, my eyes just start glazing over. And so knowing that there are engineers out there, post, <laughs> post-production people who love doing the editing stuff, I'm so happy. <laughs> yep, that's, that is me. There yeah. are, that, me and my kind, my, uh, my ilk. Yeah, yeah no. There's, there's a bunch of us out there. No, that's great. So, so uh, at this point, when you, when you do independent contract work, somebody says, uh, hey, Chrissy, I got your name from Suzanne or whoever and um, want to find out uh, if you can do post-production on this audiobook that I've done. What exactly do you do? What's included? you do the proofing or do you expect proofed audio and then you just edit and master it? I've done both. I pre- giving, getting, giving me audio that is pre-proofed makes me a little bit nervous. Um, maybe without being able to put a good finger on why, I don't know if it's just because that's always been QC, has always been the last part of the process for the last however many years I've been in this business that mm-hmm. when someone's like, yeah, oh, I already QC'd this for you. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, no, hold on. Um, I, I can understand that. that. I mean, that you're, you're putting your name on this work. And if it yeah. <laughs> turns out that, you know, every other word is wrong, uh, yeah. even if that's not your fault, it's going to come back to you somehow. So I, I get that. Yeah. And also on top of that, um, because at least with Hachette and, um, at Audible back in the day, QC is also responsible for just making sure not just, you know, that it's, it's word accurate, but noises and artifacts that might have been put in by accident with uh, during processing. Um, there's nobody to hear that after me if you're giving me pre-proof or, or something that's already been pre-proofed. So it makes it just makes me a little bit like I'll, I'll do it if you if you're confident in your proofer, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to not going to tell you otherwise, but uh, it just always make, it, it always just makes me a little bit nervous, but I I, I prefer to handle it all myself just because then I can you know like my stamp my name is on it like you said and yeah. so I can take confidence in every single step of the process. I am not at the point right now, uh, so I just left Hachette at the very very end of December right before Christmas. So yeah. I've been on my own for a little less than six months, learning the uh, the freelance freelance hustle, which I have to say is. Uh, humbling and um it's daunting uh, i know it's daunting it's humbling and i have a new respect for people who seem to do it with ease mm-hmm. i am not i am not that person yet i am not at the point where i can say like i have oh yeah no i have a proofer like i'm just going to edit master it hand it to someone they're going to prove it and they're going to come back to me i know a couple of people in this business on this side who have that ability right now it's just me working mm-hmm. long hours all time, all day, all day. My poor, <laughs> my poor parents are like, I've been up here for nine weeks, almost 10 weeks. And both of my parents are retired and in their late seventies. And so I'll get up long before they do and come down and they'll just see me. I'm down there and my, my office is the dining room. Uh, while I'm up here. <laughs> um, it quite, it quite, I have taken over the dining room the, all hours of the night. I've, I'd be work. I'll be working from 
you know, obviously the, the hours, date, certain stop varies, but me, you know, I've right. pulled two and at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. days, which is not easy as you leave college. It's a lot harder to be able to justify staying up that late and then telling your body to get back up at a regular hour. Yeah, ab- just- absolutely. I, I know a lot of narrators do that who, like I mentioned before, who have regular jobs or you make, commi- you make, yeah, kids or you make commitments and then all of a sudden something comes up in the meantime and you've got, got to get your, you know, 10 finished yep. hours out in the next two and a half days. So I, yep. I know a lot of people do that, but it absolutely does get harder the older you get. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to move away from, I, I used to do more work at night because of the recording situation that I had, less noise, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I, with, a, with my booth now, I've been able to make it a little more regular, so that's not the case. The, the good thing for me about the night work was that I'm kind of a night owl anyway. I just don't always like working that late. So, But I, yeah. I, I do get the, uh, the entrepreneur thing. Sometimes you make commitments and you do what you have to do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I'm also having that fight still where – at five o'clock, my brain's like, well, we're done. I'm like, no, we're not. Yeah. No, we're definitely, we're definitely not done. And then, and you know, like, you know, seven 30, well, we're done. Nope. We're still going like yeah. until, until your eyes start crossing or <laughs> we got to keep going. We have things we got to get done and we promise people with deadlines and right. you know, you might want to sleep in tomorrow. So you got to work a little later tonight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, the whole point of my, one of the reasons I left Hachette was sort of to do this on my own. Cause I, my dad had pointed out a while ago, like you, now's your time, right? You don't have a mortgage, you don't have uh, kids, you don't have, um, you know, student loans. Like you don't have any reason to to stay in a situation where you where you know you'd rather be enjoy, trying to do something else and learn right. um, new new things. So uh, part of the reason was to yeah get out and learn to do it my on my on my own um, and. It's been a learning curve. It's been a yeah. very big learning curve. Uh, I, Not going to lie. I hear you. So when you're doing that work, so you typically do the proofing and the editing and the mastering, um, go through a go through a process for me. I, I assume that you proof as you edit because um, I think that that's typically the way people do it. Yeah, I do. Unless, unless I need – unless the schedule dictates otherwise, in that case, I will proof first which I realize uh, slightly goes against what I said about hating get pre-proofed masters. But uh, actually, I don't think it does because it's still my own work in my own eyes. Exactly. Will, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're the proofer. It's just different, exactly. different timing. Yeah. 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 I will. So unless, unless the schedule dictates for I have to give you pickups by a certain date, but I have more, times with, more time to do things between pickups and final masters um, because editing takes up obviously more time than – proofing in terms or it takes up more brain space for me uh, right. you know i'll speak i'll speak for myself uh so uh i'll get the audio from everybody uh quick quick plug if i may rich uh to yeah. all the narrators please 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 give us room tone um ah, I, yes important I, uh, <laughs> it is very important and but i have encountered some where there's no room tone and i'll i will make it but i you'll you will give me the biggest smile on my face if you give me room tone yeah. it is it's the best i uh i don't love making it but, you know, yeah. uh, I'll do it. But please, please, always room tone. And the, the uh, producers that I've worked for typically request that up front. Um, or I should say the, the publishers that I've worked for mm-hmm. typically say at, either at the beginning or the end, uh, up to you, give me 30 yeah. seconds of room tone and then I can use it wherever I need it. And um, so I, I totally hear that. Absolutely. it's And I, I just mentioned it in 
just because in the past couple of six past couple of six months in the last six months I've actually encountered more non room tone books and had to go request it as a as an extra mm. so I just uh, put a little plea out there please always room tone yeah um, that makes everything so easy for everybody uh, I'll take the the script the book and I stick to what I know which has been everyone's specs are a little bit different, but everyone's specs are also a little bit the same. So I I edit like I would edit at Hachette or at Audible um, with you know top and tail and pacing, um, unless the pacing needs to be you know really really quick because it's a dramatic scene or it's a fast dialogue, or you need to let something breathe because it's a dramatic moment or the uh, the protagonist has had a you know a revelatory idea that you just you need to let the listener let that sink in. Um, so that's that's actually really interesting, and I haven't had this discussion before with with an engineer. Um, so, how often would you say you're adjusting pacing? You are either adding, you know, a, or making a pause longer, or taking time out. How often does that happen? Is that something that's happening every minute, uh, once a book, you know, every every chapter, um, typically? How does that go? Or or is there no typically? Yeah, I would say that there's no typically. Um, so one of the main differences in my last, you know, in the last six months is that um, Hachette recorded all open record. So you got everything. So there was a lot of... Wow. Uh, yeah. I'm, I am shocked to hear that. So there was a lot of, there was a lot, a lot of editing and pacing obviously was, I think, left more up to the post-production person than... Not to not to imply that you're repacing the narrator, but when you have everything and you have to start, you know, literally putting things on the cutting room floor. Sure, yeah. Yeah, the pacing is a little bit more in your hands than than a straight, uh, excuse me, a punch record. Right. Uh, and then I've had a discussion with a couple of good friend narrators who are just like, "Don't touch my pacing. Whatever you do, like I, the, I worked hard on this book. I am, you know, I am the 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 voice that you hear, like." don't touch my pacing. Mm. And I, I understand that. I mean, it took a little while. I'm not going to lie because there's a part of me that's like, well, you don't trust my editing. No, yeah. that's, not, that's not the case at all. Right. It's not, it's right. not, but, uh, it's, it's two people who know that they're very good at what they do coming to an agreement in the middle about it. Right. Um, right. I, I'll adjust the pacing if I don't think the narrator in that moment got it right, mm -hmm. which, um, so like I said, if I need to, if I, if I think the dialogue should go faster because somewhere in the setup for the scene, uh, they mentioned it was a, something quick paced or, you know, they're, they're being chased by the police or they're catching a murderer or, uh, I will, I'll speed it up a little bit just because, um, or if like, or if the, the wit calls for it, if it's a witty back and forth dialogue, you don't want, you don't want the joke or the punchline of one character, you know, insulting or ribbing, you know, their best friend to be a second and a half later. Right, like you, right. you, you want it to land. Um, but I, I don't do, I mean, now I don't do a lot of adjusting. Um, I try to let everything speak for itself. There are times where I will look and see that there's, there's seconds upon seconds between paragraphs. And it's just, for me, that doesn't feel necessary. So I'll tighten that up. Yeah. I think you got to give the listener a little bit of credit that, that you can tighten things up as need be if it's not something dramatic that needs to sink in and hit them yeah. in the ears. No, yeah. that makes sense. Sounds like a, a, a very good it depends kind of uh, kind of yeah. approach to it. 
Yeah. So my answer is, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> now that makes sense. So I'm sure that there are a lot of people since this discussion comes up, um, not very often, probably only about four or five, six times a day. Um, and in the <laughs> online forums, uh, what do you do about breaths? How do you feel about breaths in general? Oh man, you're picking all, <laughs> you're picking all of the prickly topics. Um, uh, cause I also know that, that, uh, I've, you know, I've heard that my one of my my former company has a reputation for taking out all the breaths and then there are publishers some of the big five that want them in there if it's egregious if it is clearly you gasping for breath because you ran out of you ran out of air before you got to the comma or the period Mm -hmm. i'm taking it out um if it's if it's a light breath you know i don't believe in you know, making the audiobook sound like it's read by someone who never breathes in their life because that's not realistic. Um, it's, it's not. And that, that's, not. that's the reason I ask is that this, this topic comes up so frequently and, and the general response and the one that I tend to give because it's what sounds good to my ear is as long as you know how to breathe well and there isn't anything egregious, you know, big <gasps> before you say something, um, yeah then I think it's mostly fine. And I have been surprised to listen to audiobooks coming from, you know, big publishers where I almost never hear a breath. And I yeah. don't particularly like it. If if it's if the breaths are still there in the middle of a sentence, um, at least I don't feel like it's a robot. But right. um, but it really is a little surprising to hear that when I when so much of the advice that I hear is, you know, basically leave them in. So, um, so that's why I ask it. it. It is a prickly topic. Like I said, it comes up frequently in the forums oh, I, that I'm in. And, oh, I know. Oh, and, and then even from editor to editor, it, mm-hmm. it's, a, it, I think it's a personal preference. It, yeah. um, and I will say I do take out, I don't know if there's a, if there's a, an actual term for this, but I'm, they're basically the double breaths. It's definitely a quiet breath that narrators take to just refill their lungs, like between paragraphs. Mm-hmm. And it's just that it's just that soft little double double breath, and I can hear that, and I'm like, nope, that because to me that also sounds like a bad edit, and I know I know it's not, but I don't want that to sound like that to the listener, like it was just like a cut breath. Yeah, because I, I know so, exactly what you're talking about. It's yeah. it's the I'm looking at my audio, and I know that I didn't punch in right there, and yet mm-hmm. as I'm listening to it, it sounds like I punched in and got the breath wrong. Yep. Yeah, yep. I know exactly so what I you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, well, that's cool. So, so then what's the, um, what's, what's your mastering process? I'm sure that every book is slightly different, but that there are a lot of similarities in how you approach the different tools that you use for the mastering process. How how do you normally go about that? I will be honest and say I have a cheat sheet, uh, and say that I have something that's preset, um, based off of, like I said, I, I work from what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to master to the standards that I've had to master to for the last eight years. I will. I know that ACX ACX specs uh, vary um, in the RMS range and the peak range, the peak value um, mm-hmm. for the final audio more than they do than uh, than Hachette's did. And I don't honestly remember what Audible had back in the day. Um, Audible actually never left. They, they set, separated the process back then, so I was never mastering. I was just editing, and they had an entire mastering team. That, that was oh. just their entire job, yeah. Wow, that's um, interesting. So they, yeah, they segmented it up as much as you could. So I will. I have a preset, and then I will... The other thing, we used to master 
if the whole if the whole program was in the range, it was cool. But for me, that it, I've learned that that's not how Audible specs work or ACX specs. Excuse me. So every file has to be within that range. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a little bit more time for me uh, to take every file, make sure it's within the range, and make sure they're all within the same RMS. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, decibel and within within a couple of tenths of a decibel at the peak, uh, everything that I do right now gets uh, declicked automatically for me. Um, use I R- used to love RX for that or something. Else. RX, yeah, RX seven. Yeah, um, I used to love taking out those clicks. That's like, pardon the uh, the visual, but it's like the digital popping a pimple for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it. I know exactly what you mean. I used to use Twisted Wave um, back in the first few books that I did. And um, before I learned anything about punch and roll and I was just open recording and I got so fast at seeing them and taking Mm -hmm. them out. And because Mm -hmm. Twisted Wave has a zero crossings, almost never got a a click in between. Uh, So I know exactly what you mean. Getting those out is it's just a little kind of rewarding. It's so rewarding. Um, and so everything is declicked because I I learned pretty fast in my first month of being on my own that ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) Um, I'm sad about that, but I also have to say, I I have, I've come to see that it saves me a lot more time than me going through because the little scrub version, the little scrub tool in, uh, pro tools that, that plays basically every sound wave that crosses the axis as like basically like whale sonar is really cool, but I can't. (laughs) I can't spend the time on that. Yeah. Everything gets declicked um, before I before I start editing because uh, otherwise I will go down that rabbit hole and not realize it. Mm, so I'm yeah. sort of taking the chocolate away from my face at that moment. <laughs> um, and then I will master according to the presets that I have. Um, and then everybody uh, everybody's booth is different. Everybody's voice is different. Some people's voice, uh, excuse me, some people's booths need an, uh, you know, a quick denoise, dehum to kind of take down the, the ambient sound because mm-hmm. not everybody has a, a booth booth. Um, yeah, they're recording in a room that's uh, on an ocean with a sliding glass door and it's all made of wood. <laughs> that sounds very familiar. I don't yeah. know what you're referring to. <laughs> oh, man, I wish I... You're gonna, now you're going to make me when we hang up, go back to Audible and listen to that and cringe. <laughs> There's no way I'm not going to do that. Um uh, yeah, and then I, and then if I need to adjust, some people some people set their their um, microphones really really hot, um, and so they're above the the peak value. Their RMSs are not excuse me. Their RMS is closer or a little bit below spec, but their peak is not. So I just go back and I adjust by tweaking by file by file. And then once I know that I'm going to be working with this person again, or like it's book one in a trilogy, or something i just save those settings so that i make it easier for myself the next time around so when, um, you, when you meet when you say those settings are you talking about compression limiting what, yeah what specifically? so i i use uh, a plugin called renaissance channel um it's out of waves i think and it is a eq limiter i'm gonna launch pro tools while we're talking wow so so it does it all it does it all at once and it's what hachette uses um and was on everyone's computers and what we would like slightly gently encourage our uh our vendors to use as well mm-hmm. uh, so it sort of for me it's like if it ain't broke don't don't fix it kind of thing <laughs> if, if it works if it works and it sounds good to them i'm just gonna do it too so it's sure. called our channel renaissance channel 
It has it's yeah, it's made by Waves. It's got an EQ, uh, compressor, expander, and gain. And I set it to the settings that I sold, you know that I've been using for years, and mm-hmm. then tweak from there. Tweak it based on the narrator in the booth. And on the narrator everything. in the booth. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes just sense. sometimes I'll I'll master, and then everything's out of whack, and just you know undo, 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 and start all over again. Cool. Because everyone's voice is different. So it sounds like you've been using Pro Tools forever. Do you ever use any other tools uh, besides Pro Tools for the work that you do? Well, in RX. For DAWs, Audible at the time used Sony SoundForge, so I actually had to learn SoundForge a couple years ago. Uh, I've used SoundForge. I have Twisted Wave on my on my computer as well. That was a relatively new uh, purchase in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, Audacity, which everyone uses. Uh, I don't like to because it's audacity no offense to audacity but <laughs> it's not not my favorite i kind of cringe when people are like i'm in audacity and i'm like no 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 don't please don't yeah um uh soundforge audacity audacity uh pro tools twisted wave there's like one more that's on the tip of my tongue that i cannot think of reaper. um that i i've used i don't own reaper but i've used reaper i've used reaper for engineering um mm. in the last couple months i've had uh, a narrator friend of mine who home records but knew that like she's far more productive with a an engineer in her ear mm-hmm. and so she set up her home booth to mirror mirror her booth the computer screen in her booth outside her booth and gave control to me of her computer so that she just had to narrate and i was just literally just punching her in oh that's and awesome so, so so you were doing that awesome. you were doing that remotely uh i would well she lived in brooklyn so i was able to come down there but oh okay I, all right but also yes because i've actually um had to for a non audiobook project. I actually had to. Uh, we we uh, we all jumped on a Zoom call, and I had to have control over someone else's computer. In I think he's in Maryland, and engineer his computer for him while he was recording audio for the director up in uh, like near Woodstock. That's cool. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of that, but for post for editing. Uh, Pro Tools is my first love. Yeah. It's, it's you know, but it's a, I hate it, I love it, I hate it, I love it relationship. Um, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. Uh, I love Twisted Wave. It's kind of a, it's a great tool for kind of more quick and dirty stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's actually got a lot of capabilities that, that aren't uh, immediately apparent. Um, but uh, it's, it's a great tool. It's what I use almost exclusively for like commercial auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of trying to do those in Studio One, which is what I use for for audiobooks, um, uh, it's it's a great tool. So yeah, it's on my i it's on my list of things to explore and get to know a little bit better in the coming in the coming weeks. As, uh, once everything dies down a little bit, um, mm-hmm. yeah, because I I've never been able to get fully get away from the radio love that I really wanted to do, and so I'm on some. Uh, radio listservs where people are asking for like hacks on how to do this and how do you get out of uh, apparently uh, most journalists use Hindenburg as a as a, a oh DAW. no kidding I, I know that yeah. I've heard of Hindenburg I didn't realize that that was a, a popular one in certain circles it seems to be it shows up over and over and over again but hmm. then there's other things that I just actually downloaded something called Audio Hijack based on reading the listserv from the one one of the most recent threads where Audio Hijack uh, records audio from almost anything, any any application you have open, hmm. and what it's a visual. They make a visual chain, but it's based on the uh, like the app. So if you wanted to record off of Skype or uh, Zoom or 
they even showed like you can rip some stuff from from websites like YouTube. Um, you tell the you tell Hijack what order it should go to and how to process it, and then just hit record and it and it downloads it onto your computer. Wow, um, I gotta look that yeah. one up. Yeah, I literally just downloaded it yesterday. I haven't had a. Ch- I'm staring at it right now. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to play with it, but it's. Um, take a look at that. It's the free version, and then there's a paid version, which. I think it's a couple hundred bucks. I think I, they, they said essentially like there's no difference between the paid and the free, just a license. Mm-hmm. I think I will, I will admit I read that really quickly. I just said, okay, free. If I don't like it, I'll just delete it. Yeah. Um, yeah. there's no harm in trying that. Yeah, no. Well, that's cool. It definitely sounds like pro tools is, uh, is the main tool. And I get that. Okay. I, I have friends who used pro tools for, uh, for years and years. I used it uh, for a while back in the early nineties, but I was using it on a, I think subpar windows machine Mm-hmm. And I just, I always had problems. Uh, it's it was, not Windows friendly. It's I, not. It, I, whatever they want to tell you, it's not Windows friendly. Yeah. I mean, it, I, mean I it, haven't... it works, but I always had problems with it. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think that most of that was probably my computer, but uh, it just seemed like, and even, even now I hear people, I, I see people talking about problems that they're having, and it's typically on Windows machines. Absolutely. Uh, the only other one that I used that uh, I would never recommend for voiceover is Ableton Live. And the only reason I used it, yeah, yeah, I know it always gets a laugh. Um, the only reason I used it was because it was free with mm-hmm. something that I bought. I think it was the the preamp that I bought or the mixer. I don't know. And so I said, well, I can make this work. And I did. But, it, oh, my God, definitely no, not designed for this kind of work. It's not. <laughs> my, one of my exes was a, or maybe still is, I'm not sure, but it was a music DJ. Mm, yeah, and that, that's and what that's it's for. that's basically what he would use it for. That in a Logic yeah. And I'm, I was like, all right, I don't, I'm just going to stick to my SoundForge because it's, they're two different, entirely different. Um, yeah. It was, uses. <laughs> I had to go through so many hoops to make it work. So anyway, uh, so sounds like Pro Tools is, uh, is typically what you use. You know, it is, it's also because, uh, it's what I learned on, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, it's, it's so, there's a sense of this is familiar to me and it's, I'm not opposed to learning new DAWs. I want to, and I now have the time to do it, but also, uh, Emerson, uh, all their computers had had Pro Tools on it, mm. uh, and uh, the recording like live sound booth in the radio station in um, college had it. And then I actually did an internship for NPR in Chicago, and that's what all, uh, was on all of their computers. So like it's just it was everywhere. So yeah. it's, it just feels natural. Yeah, totally understand. Yeah. So in terms of the audiobooks that you work on at this point, uh, do you have any kind of a specialty or is it pretty much everything, nonfiction, fiction, everything. romance, yeah. erotica? Is there anything that you, if somebody were to call and say, well, I've got this audiobook and it's, um, you know, far right wing or far left wing or erotica, or is there anything that you would say, no, I'm not going to work on that? You know, up until recently, I would have been like, yeah, just, you know, whatever, just hand it over. But I, I've come to have a line a little bit erotic is fine you know it is what it is i'm not i'm not gonna knock it people people love it people enjoy it mm-hmm. it gives i think narrators also a chance to you know under under a pseudonym or not to sort of just narrate something that's kind of fun and and dirty and pun intended not no pun intended right yeah um but yeah there's there's some things that i just i'm not i'm not comfortable editing anymore and i just i'm i don't know I only just came to that recently where it was just, I can't, I can't, I can't edit this because I know this is going out into the world and I don't like the fact that I'm responsible for having my hands on the, on this. And it's, it's some serious right wing stuff, um, right wing stuff that kind of makes me just like my eyes cross. And I'm like, I can't believe that this is 
in front of my face and I can't do this after afterward. So I hear you. I have a feeling that, uh, with the very recent past, you are not alone. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm not. I just, and, and there's, so there's always been a part of me that when I was a producer, I had a couple of vendors, uh, that were, uh, uh, he was a voiceover, but also director, uh, a nice gentleman who just told me he would never do, he could never do anything Christian or right wing. And I'll respect that. I obviously will, you know, as a producer, if you don't want to work on it, you can't work on it. You have something, I'm not going to do it. But there was always just a little part of me that was like, come on, dude, like, just put a new name on it, you know, whatever. But now I'm on the other side of it and I get it. I get it. I, it's, you have the choice and the option of where you're going to lend your energy and that's not for them. And this is not for me. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I don't make any judgments on people who do things that are necessary, that are, um, somewhat or very contrary to what they might believe personally. Um, but there are a couple of lines that I won't cross. And for those people, there are probably a line or two that they won't cross. It just happens to be different. So, um, I always figure it is voice acting. And, uh, mm-hmm. and if you want to act and do that, that's fine. If you want to put a pseudonym, that's fine. Don't really make too many judgments, but I know where my lines are and I assume they know where theirs are. And it sounds like you've got a new one and that's cool too. <laughs> I mean, yep. The whole point of this, like I said, was just to learn new stuff about me and, and how to move forward. And I've learned that that's a line that, yep, not, not for me. Yeah. 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 Totally understand. So where do you see this going? Do you see, uh, at this point staying, uh, on your own, being an entrepreneur and having your own consulting business, or, uh, do you think that being on your own is good and you think you might want to go back to a bigger company at some point? What do you think? Uh, or I mean, is it anything, just cut? Anything's yeah, possible. <laughs> anything's possible. But yeah. That's cool. I mean, I'm sure that, I'm sure that the job would have to be like the, the, capital T, capital J job would have to be the dream job for me to say, okay, you know what, I'll go back to it. Because there's, there's some perks to being your boss, your own boss, besides the obvious, you know, things that at least that I could think of is, you know, sleeping in late. And like, uh, I, I make a lot of jokes that I'm like, my boss is such a pain in the butt. And people look at me and they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, oh no, that's me guys. That's me. And they just, they just, they, don't laugh. And for me, that's funny, but no one ever, no yeah. one ever, you, you're like the first person who's laughed. Oh no, but, I totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, but I've always had thoughts in the back of my head about what could I do if I had the time. Uh, and I have the time now. Um, I have a little dream that, uh, I have told my roommate in Brooklyn, she also works from home and she worked from home long before I, I did, but there was a spare bedroom and I was like, you know, I could just buy a booth and I could just make my own little production company in a corner of this apartment and just turn it into a whatever. And she didn't, she didn't it's very hard to explain to people who are not in our industry what, what we do. Mm-hmm. Like my mom, my mom still doesn't understand what I do. And it's been 12 years. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Parents are so, sometimes the last to figure it out. That's true. But uh, people are like, Oh yeah, you, you edit books. And I'm like, close. Yeah. I, I mean, I edit audio books. They're like, well, books on tape. And I'm like, please don't use that term out loud. <laughs> um, I know that books on tape is a, a term that much like breaths or no breaths is a people, people fall on a yeah. certain side of the, yeah. Um, Right now, I would like to stay on the track I'm on. I am, I am kind of, I have fingers in a lot of things. I don't think that I mentioned this. I don't know if it's come up, but I am also the part-time producer uh, for the New York Public Library's podcast. So um, I have a little bit of fingers in, in like the, I just want to make sure I'm still in audio is my point. And mm-hmm. I, audio production of all sorts. And obviously I am, most familiar and most comfortable in the audiobook world because 
that is that is where I've grown up in the last 12 years. I would love to just continue on the road I'm on now and see where it keeps going. Cool. That sounds great. Well, when, when you're not on that road right now, what are you doing? What do you do in your spare time? Do you have any spare time? Not really. <laughs> um, I get I, that. I get that. I uh, I knit. I am known. No, I'm no sure kidding. that. Yeah, there's. I'm sure that uh, some of your listeners and actually some of the people you've interest you've you interviewed would uh, say that's probably the first thing they think about of me. And I've I've run into one producer on the way to the boat base in a couple of years at APAC who was like, I didn't know if that was you. And then I saw the yarn and I was like, yep, yep, that was me. Always yarn in my purse. Yep. Uh, I knit. Great. I crochet. It's just something I picked up years and years and years ago because I just wanted something to do while watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's right now in the last couple of weeks, I've been up, up playing with dogs that I don't have in Brooklyn. So that's what I'm doing in my fair time. My free time is walking the dog because she loves to be walking. She reminds me daily I haven't gone outside yet and you've been staring at that bright glowy thing for hours. <laughs> so please move. Uh, um, dogs can be so good in that regard. Oh, she was. She's 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 sweet. She's sometimes a jerk, but she won't miss. She won't, yeah. Um yeah, no, uh, it's my free time is spent spent um yarning. I mean, that's the majority of it, yeah. honestly. I'm not gonna lie. That's my that's my other happy place. That's my analog happy place. Yarn, uh, analog happy place. That's my analog great. happy place. Yeah, that's great. Yarning and uh, building a business. So aside from <laughs> uh, room tone, got any words mm-hmm. of wisdom for narrators out there? As an, as from coming from the engineering <laughs> side, what would you uh, what would you say is really important that people uh, people narrating out there should understand? Oh man, no pressure. <laughs> uh, yes, please always check your room tone. I mean, I might. My, my answer is probably going to pull from just beyond being an engineer, but, you know, please do your research if needed with a book. Please come prepared. Be upfront, upfront honest as you can be with anybody who is a part of the book that needs to know whether or not you're hitting a limitation. It's not for you. You aren't able to do what is asked of the book. I've run into a lot of um, narrators who they'll say, like, I, you know, it's the first book I've gotten from this this company i don't want to turn it down but i i can't do this accent and i'm like that's you have to say that you have to tell them that you're, yeah. you're doing a disservice i understand that you want to be you want to be the shining star that they just stumbled upon and will cast you for everything in the future but you know fake it till you make it only works so much if you can't do something that the book is required of you you're not going to be that shining star you got to be upfront and honest and also be up in front and honest with your your proofer and your um, your engineer, if you're doing uh, independent work like uh, what I've been doing for the last couple of months, um, you know, was this book challenging? Do you want them to keep an extra ear out for this, that, and the other? Um, rely on the people who are there to help you sound great, because everyone, what I've what I have been telling um, new narrators and first time authors that I read is that everybody hears here for the book. No one's going to let you turn out a bad product. Um, and, you know, it's not offensive. It's not, excuse me, not, it's not personal. We're not trying to offend you. We want you to do this over. We want you to take this again. Um, just rely on everyone around you. Know that everyone has everyone else's and the book's best intentions at heart as, at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, that, any of that made sense because I realized it just rambled a little bit. No, it, it absolutely does. Um, and, and the whole thing about turning stuff down – it's a, it's kind of a bitter pill because I've, I know people who have been in that situation where, and I, I almost was, and I decided to go ahead and do it, and then I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't, and it actually worked out fine in, in my, you know, one little case, but, um, 
but it is difficult. You, you get an offer from somebody and you really want to make a good impression and you mm-hmm. really want to be able to do whatever they want. But if you're not going to be able to do it well, everybody loses. Absolutely. You're, you're going to lose by taking something that you really don't think you're, that, that you know that you're not totally qualified for. And like you said, fake it till you make it only works until you don't make it. And then that's exactly. a, that's a huge problem. It's so, a huge problem. And you're, and you're, you're, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting whoever hired you Yeah. and you're hurting whoever spent the time to work on that book on the other end. It's yeah. As I, I've helped a couple of friends who, um, who got into speed dating a couple of years ago and I was just like, listen, coming from the producer who sits in those speed datings, be, be upfront and honest. Like yeah. that's, I think that's the best uh, thing because you telling me you can't do something doesn't mean I'm not going to hire you. Mm-hmm. It just tells me what I cannot hire you for. And for me, there's a difference. Yeah. 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 So great advice. So, uh, so Chrissy, this has been great. Thanks so much for coming in. Where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you online and they want to look you up on social media? If you want to follow me on Instagram uh, or Twitter, it's at nycradiogirl.com. Uh, She's nycradiogirl. Um, that is a leftover from the days I thought I would be in radio, and I took that screen name and it has followed me everywhere. And, um, and let me guess, you have a lot of pictures of, of yarn projects. If you want to follow me on Instagram for my yarn, it is at the Tangle Skein. Oh, you have different different <laughs> accounts. Okay, fair enough. Only only recently, <laughs> only recently, because I was like, you know what? I just want to. I also have these dreams of like becoming a a Instagram yarn influencer, if mm-hmm. that is a thing. Sure, yeah. Think. Um, no, yeah. There's definitely that. There's. I try to. Um, I haven't posted on Instagram in a while because I feel like the tone has just been off in the last ten weeks. Like, what? Mm. I don't. There, for me, there's nothing to put up there. I try to focus on things I find in the world and just it's I don't know about how you have been struggling or if you have been struggling but like in the last couple weeks has been uh you had to just you got you know it's like you shook a snow globe but left it on the side and now you have to figure out how to operate while you're on your side oh yeah no it um, it has definitely affected me I'm I'm almost about ready to take another social media break um I just I I almost just can't look at it anymore. And yet I'm like looking at it hours a day. Um, yeah. because I'm, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I'm chained to it and it's not doing me any good. So no, anyway, I, I totally understand. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Twitter, Twitter and Instagram is all the same. NYC radio girl. And then, I mean, my email is chrissy.farrell at gmail.com. F A R R E L L not like will. I appreciate it. I'm not related to him. I'm not F E R R. I'm F A R R. Um, that has that has come back to to bite me every now and then, where people are like, "Did you get my email?" And I'm like, "No, how'd you spell my last name?" That's um, that's funny because I never would have thought of spelling it any differently because I used to work at a Ferrell's. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's <laughs> one of those weird things. Like I just when people are like, well, "How do you spell that?" I'm like, "Colin, like Colin Farrell, not Will Farrell." Like <laughs> trying to trying to find someone else for you to. To bounce it, and then oh, uh, sometimes I, they spell like Pharrell, the rapper. I'm mm. like, there's no, there's no pH in my name. I wish there was. I'm not that cool. Um, that's funny. Yeah, those are the ways to reach me. Those are the best ways to uh, get my attention. But I, um, I, I'm in the point where all that is my personal stuff, right? I, mm-hmm. uh, I am slow to the slow to the game at getting a website up. I have the URL. I have the web designer who keeps reminding me that I haven't used her yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've spent a lot of time trying to um, find the clips of the books that I've edited that I really want uh, to to showcase because I'm proud of a lot of the stuff that I've done. Yeah, uh, but, no, yeah. that's totally, totally I'm fair. happy to connect with anybody 
Cool. Follow the yeah. ways I just listed. I'll definitely uh, definitely include that in the show notes as well. So this has been great. I hope your uh, I hope your IPA your sour IPA was good or is good. It, it is. It is. It's a slow burn at the moment because I spent a lot of time talking. <laughs> <laughs> that, you're, I, you're, you're not the only one who's been in the speakeasy who has said that, but uh, <laughs> you're the people want to. You're you're the one that people want to hear from. I'm mm. I'm the lucky one because I get to ask the questions and then drink while I'm listening. So my my brown derby is gone. Uh, uh, I I will say that I like this recipe more with a little bit less of the honey syrup. Um, so okay. again, not not my favorite cocktail, but it's good for a change, and I always appreciate having variety. That is true, and as long as it's not the worst cocktail, I consider it a win. Absolutely not. Yeah, no this this was this was good. I do like the grapefruit. So, Chrissy, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate your time. Great, thank you so much. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Chrissy Farrell for stopping in. I enjoyed hearing about her take on audiobook post production, and I hope you did too. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the usual apps. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers!